0: Hello, Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome again to Christchurch Jerusalem to our uh, evening Bible Study. We're in Leviticus 24. Oh, it's coming to the end. It's been... Quite a good journey. Now, this is actually a small chapter, but um, don't let that fool us because sometimes we can actually talk three weeks on two verses. So let's all be very careful and uh, see how we go and wrestle the scriptures and see what we can learn. The Holy Spirit teaches us about holiness and how we can be a holy people to the Lord. The Spirit is present. He's with me, he's with you, and he binds us together as a family, and that is actually truly a joy and a blessing. So let's honor that by prayer. Rocky, can you pray us in, that?
2: Love to. Yeshua, help me. In every need, let me come to you with humble trust, saying, Yeshua, help me. In all my doubts, perplexities, and temptations, Yeshua, help me. In hours of loneliness, weariness, and trials, Yeshua, help me. In the failure of my plans and hopes, in disappointments, troubles, and sorrows, Yeshua, help me. When others fail me and your grace alone can assist me, Yeshua, help me. When I throw myself on your tender love as a brother and savior, Yeshua, help me. When my heart is cast down by failure to see any good come from my efforts, Yeshua, help me. When I feel impatient and my cross irritates me, Yeshua, help me. When I am ill and my head and hands cannot work or I'm lonely, Yeshua, help me. Always, always in spite of weakness, falls and shortcomings of every kind, Yeshua, help me and never forsake me. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, brother. So as is our tradition... Uh, We give a summary of our discussion last week, which was the idea of holy time. And uh, the notes should be online for those that are following the podcast. I think I've attached them in uh, the chat. And here we go as we read them out. Leviticus 23. In the Hebraic mind, both time and space are considered sacred. So in Genesis, the first thing that God created that he called holy was the Sabbath, and hence time itself became the first consecrated holy object. Following the principle of the weekly Sabbath cycle, the entire Jewish year was made sacred with a calendar of seven sacred festivals. Leviticus 23 is a systematic presentation of the divine calendar in Israel. Interestingly, these are called the Feasts of the Lord. And not the feasts of Israel, yet they are given to the people of Israel. And it is based around three pilgrimage feasts, with the foundation of these feasts being the Sabbath self. The Hebrew word describes these feasts with the foundation, uh, describe these feast times with the word moed, which literally calls them the appointed times. These special times, which are also known as chagim or feasts or festivals, they are rich in symbolic and prophetic significance, all the while following the agricultural seasonal cycle. Now, in antiquity, ancient festivals often commemorated events related to the activities of their local gods. So whenever they had a holiday, it commemorated something that their god did. While the Lord is quite pacific, regarding the activities of the tabernacle during these sacred times, most of the feasts are not actually given reasons for their observance. Those reasons come later. The obvious exception to this, of course, is Passover, which does have a historical event intertwined in its meaning and observance. For the rest of the Jewish calendar, the seasons and festivals gained religious meanings over time through exegetical interpretation and national experience. Many of the festivals in this chapter also included the presentation of food offerings before the Lord, without details of the food groups themselves. Today, the modern Jewish calendar links specific foods, readings from Scripture, and prayers to accompany each appointed time. Now, all traditions not found in the text. For example, at Shavuot, the tradition is to read the Megillah or the Scroll of Ruth. At Sukkot, the reading is Ecclesiastes. Yet, at the time of Moses, these texts had obviously not been written. On these appointed feasts, the people of Israel are to meet with the Lord, called holy convocations. They revolve around the Sabbath, the first feast described in the chapter, and so no work was to be done. For many people, our identity is wrapped up in what we do. This is one of the many reasons that makes the Sabbath so special. For on that day, you don't do any work. And thus, you have the opportunity to discover your real identity. On the Sabbath, you are no longer Aaron the doctor or Aaron the dentist. You simply and truly are Aaron, one who is made in the image of God. Spending true time with the Lord reaffirms our real identity. And the challenge then for all of us is to make holy time with the Lord. And in a culture that has become 24-7, this is no small task. Centuries later, when the Jewish people were scattered from the land into exile, they began to meet and worship together in synagogues on the Sabbath, continuing the tradition of the holy convocation, that is, in spending time with the Lord. Spending time with God at his appointed times is also a demonstration of loyalty on behalf of the worshiper. It is noted that many of the festivals can also be performed outside the Holy Sanctuary. For example, on Sukkot, even though it's a pilgrimage festival to Jerusalem, individual families construct temporary dwellings in their current locations. The decentralized nature of the sacred calendar continued in the diaspora, preserving faith, and community, despite the destruction of both temples. So the temple might be destroyed, but the calendar remains. Holy time is made holy by the Lord, but it is kept holy through observance and participation of those who follow him. Like everything we have studied in Leviticus, it is a partnership between heaven and earth. Purim and Hanukkah are the two obvious festivals that are not included here in Leviticus. Both are non-agrarian feasts with no attachment to a harvest of any type, and they instead preserve redemptive events in the history of Israel. Their inclusion into the Jewish calendar sets the precedence for the inclusion of other holidays and sacred times that remember the actions and interventions of the Lord, such as the birth and death of the Messiah. New festivals are not inherently evil. They are simply new expressions of the continuing redemptive work of God in his creation. Leviticus 23 describes each feast as an eternal ordinance. That is, something that will be performed without a concluding date and with or without a temple in Jerusalem. During our discussion of the texts, we contemplated the relationship between the Jewish calendar and the Gentile followers of Jesus. We also noted that several feasts are mentioned as continuing into the world to come, such as Sukkot, which is foretold by the prophet Zechariah, and involving Gentile participation. Jesus says he will celebrate the Passover again in the future at the Last Supper. And Paul instructs us to keep the feast in his epistle to the Corinthians. So here's a question. Is it wrong for Gentiles to participate in Jewish festivals? Do Jewish people feel positive or negative about Gentiles celebrating Passover? Or do they consider it further examples of Gentiles appropriating the faith of Israel? The answer is complex and it's complicated. By the, and it's complicated by the poor history between church and synagogue. They are the appointed times of the Lord delivered to Israel, who was and is to be a light to the nations. Moses declares in Deuteronomy that no other nation has the wisdom of the Torah like Israel. Eventually, Gentiles who are attracted to the monotheistic faith of Israel will come into contact with feasts and festivals. How then should we behave? We should note that in Acts 15, it is not required of the Gentiles to participate in the obligation that Israel has in the Torah, but it is also noted that the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 reminds everyone that Moses, that is the Torah, continues to be read and taught to the community. Continual study of the Word of God will eventually lead us to the call to holiness found in Leviticus, and there we will all encounter holy time. So in brief summary, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that we should never instruct anyone to break a commandment, even the least of the commandments. Perhaps the best way to teach others about the spiritual riches and blessings that are found by being with the Lord at his appointed times is simply to demonstrate the blessing through invitation. We can all invite people to share a Sabbath dinner with us and to witness the blessing this has on our lives and our families. And this goes for all the appointed times that are holy to the Lord. All right. So let's move on to Leviticus 24. I'll read. It's only uh, 24, 23 verses, so it's reasonably short. All right, so grab your Bibles, doesn't matter which version, and listen along and follow along. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting. Aaron shall arrange it from the evening to the morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You shall make fine, take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. You shall set them in two piles, six in a pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord. You shall put Pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, perpetually due. Now, An Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed, and they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomit, the daughter of Divri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, When he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Whoever takes human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed, and they stoned him with stones. And thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is an interesting break in the normal flow of Leviticus, which is normally a series of commands. All of a sudden you actually get a piece of narrative very rare in Leviticus. Yep. More narrative in places like uh, um, uh, Book of Numbers, okay, for example, or um, Exodus. These are the, normally the, the narrative portions. But uh, there's, there's this interesting little story that appears. All right, guys, as is our tradition, based on a literal reading of the text, what is it that jumps out at you? Okay, hand raised, Peter or David?
3: Erin, uh, it's just a, really a question, and perhaps Moti can answer it. Is I've always wondered why the showbread, the 12 pieces of bread, are set in two piles on the table. Is there any, does Moti have any understanding what the rabbis say they do only the two piles?
4: Well, I can only guess. We you know why, why 12 of them, because it represents 12 tribe of Israel. But two could be Kohanim and Leviim. Like two families in one.
1: So So what? basically there's no literal reading uh, meaning, so we have to attach a meaning to it. So you can probably come up with nearly everything. I mean, 12 obviously, not obviously, could represent the 12 tribes, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Although there's actually 13. But, hey, let's not (laughs) not
4: use
1: the count here, okay? 12 is a good number. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But it's interesting. They do, and they put them... I find it interesting that these, these, these breads last an entire week, right? And then, and then, the, and then Aaron and his sons get to, to actually consume them. Yeah. I can just imagine Aaron going, really? Really, brother? Stale bread? That, that's what I get? Oh, exactly. thanks. <laughs> Anyone for toast? I can try and make this better. So. All right, Elizabeth? And
5: especially as it's got frankincense on top of it as well.
1: Oh, that's right. Right. He's got some... Wild stuff going on there in the tabernacle. All right.
0: The thing that stands out to me in this is that the stranger and the native are treated alike.
1: Yeah. It, that does, Right. Leviticus doesn't always clarify that, but it does here. Okay, And it's uh, interesting that the name of God is so holy. Out of all the things that are holy, lots of things are holy. God's name is holy. And he turns around and says, this is for both of you. That's how holy my name is, because it's uh, it, it reflects all of creation. Okay, David or Bita?
6: Yes, Aaron. I was just thinking. I find it very interesting that the Lord or the Holy Spirit has placed this idea that this person came along and blasphemed the name of the Lord. Yeah, and uh, this person was going to be put to death. So here we have the law, the law in place. Here we have someone blaspheming the law and being the Lord and being put to death. We have like an echo of this in Ananias and Zephyra, where they, they did something really wrong in front of the Holy Spirit. And in a position of grace, the same principle is applying that you can't do this kind of thing that is unholy.
1: Yeah, agreed. The, uh, that Acts chapter 5 portion uh, shows us that something is so holy that uh, it, it, can, it can cause well, some serious life threatening injuries if you uh, don't take it seriously. Uh, Shimshon
7: from Nigeria. Yes, um, thank you. Shalom, everyone. Um, this um, portion we've just read this uh, Leviticus 24 is, um, is very loaded. Um, first and foremost, when you look at the, the, um, the penalty for the death, the death penalty that was mentioned there is uh, a bit scary because. Um, you wonder what the, the boy said, the boy that was um, making the fight, you wonder what he said that, um, that was interpreted as um, causing God. You know, what does it mean for somebody to cause God? It's, uh, it's something that we should look about. Then also, um, it's the, it, it starts with a very interesting command. You know, it says, um, the Lord said to Moses, command the children of Israel. The same word that is used in the, in the Torah portion where that has to do with the same lamp when you get, you get the oil, it's Ave. Uh, and in that Torah portion, Ave is command. You know, it's, it's used the word command. It's not like telling them, okay, you bring this and bring this, but concerning the oil, it's actually a commandment. Uh, that's, uh, I find it very interesting and the Torah has been consistent throughout um, this um, concerning the oil. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Thanks for that. So for those that are following along on the podcast, there is a, an interesting switch in the language where when it considers oil, this brief for the light, it deliberately uses the word for command. Not take, not bring, not show up and do this, but actually this is a command. And you go, okay, why so strong? That's a very good question. What is it about oil, light in this context that is uh, such a strong word for us to to pay attention to. So when we get there, we just like right at the front, we'll, we'll try and wrestle with that question. Okay, Janet from sunny Canada.
0: And it is sunny. Thank you. Um, I just found it interesting, this sort of conjunction of holiness here within the um, the narrative. And it seems that, um, you know, this designation of the bread going on the gold and there's something about and, and also with the oil there's there's a sort of a deeper thing about the holiness that God's asking for um, the purity there, but also setting these setting bread on the gold um, and then of course the frankincense. Um, it, it's um, and then you have this other it's like he's there, there's this standard of holiness being, uh, put on the people as well in terms of you know not blaspheming or not um, you know there's uh, I, I don't know that's just what came to me is that the whole chapter is talking about the holiness of God and the sacredness of life um, and and this is this is sort of being reiterated that I guess I guess we've had it before in Leviticus but it's still, um, you know, life is not to be taken lightly at all, another.
1: And that's the tension. So you get this narrative where, where somebody does something so bad we have to stone him, and then the very next sentence after you put him to death, or, or say to put him to death, it says, you shouldn't take a, a life. Well, what's that then? <laughs> and, 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 and it's in that tension where you go, hang on. What what am I supposed to be learning here? This this is something for me to explore because this initially you think, okay, you seem to have got your order of commands wrong here, but um, and so maybe there's something we can really learn here. What is the value of human life, and what is the value of the name of God? That's also very interesting. All right, Brazil, America's best ally in
4: Latin America.
8: Um, yeah. It's, you know, by performing these actions, the bread and, and the incense and the light, you know, when you, you you haven't been home to your parents' house for a long time and you go, you walk in the door and there's like a good smell, the lights are on and bread's in the oven or bread's on the table. And it just, it's just, it's that idea. If there's a lamp burning, incense is, is, is you know, the lamp burning, incense burning and bread on the table, somebody's at home. So it's just, uh, you know, he's at home and we can be, we can be in his presence together with him
1: nice thought okay somebody's home all right let's tackle the text the lord speaks to moses i always find this interesting you know sometimes it's 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 aaron sometimes it's moses sometimes moses and aaron but you know when you've got to talk to uh get the priest to actually do something we never actually approach them we always ask this other guy Um, which I find personally very interesting, that sometimes the Lord tells somebody else to tell me something, right? All of this personal relationship with the Lord? Absolutely. But when you have a look at the Bible, often God sends somebody else to go and talk. Okay, that's interesting that uh, the Lord does it that way. So if if the only people that God is talking to is you and nobody else is uh, talking to you, question that. Okay, because there's not always the biblical principle. All right. The Lord speaks to Moses, saying, and this is an interesting word which, which uh, Shimchon picked up, Sav. So, okay, it's, a, it's the command, it's the mitzvah, actually the, the, the word, the same word. Command the people to bring oil. So oil, the, the verbs used become very interesting. It's not take, it's not bring, it's not, it's not uh, words like kach or uh, mavi. It's um, mitzvah, tzav, um command. Command the people to bring pure oil uh, for the menorah that will light, that will be kept burning regularly. All right, and you got to put it in a special place, just outside the veil, the parochet, the bit that um, separates holy holies from the other middle bit. Um, so not everybody's actually going to see this, in fact, very few people are actually going to see this. And uh, Aaron will arrange it every morning and evening before the Lord regularly. It'll be a statute forever, So sort of continuity plan going on. It doesn't just finish and end. All right, so first question. Why does God need light? Is he afraid of the dark? I ponder. Mm -hmm. What do you think? This This is the menorah, okay, and it's sitting inside the tabernacle and it has to be kept burning perpetually. And most people on the planet are not going to see it. What is the point of this? So you guys have a little play around with it for a minute. I want to hear it and I'm going to ask Multi for a few uh, midrashim on this one. Mm-hmm.
2: Light takes over darkness. Okay.
1: I always like that image. Absolutely. Doesn't matter. One single candle beats all the darkness of the world. Always nice to, to, to think about that. And
5: it's a cont- continuity of light. It's. Okay. It will always burn. It's a continuity. It's never going to go. It's a little bit like we are talking earlier on about being in your father's home and everything's just as it is. Yep. You know he's be there because the light's on.
1: Yes, someone's home. They's yes. Yeah. This is yeah. a safe place.
5: Yes. So, um,
1: and, and it's always chasing back the darkness. Okay. Very nice. Excellent. Hey, Sharon, you've got something over there. Ottawa, Canada.
9: Uh, Quebec. <laughs> Quebec.
1: Sorry, close enough
9: that's it god is light and in him is no darkness at all so no he's definitely not afraid of the dark
1: <laughs> absolutely yes and yep.
3: god separated the light from the darkness and so the light is going to need to be shining all the time because god that's god in, in like sharon said yeah it's a, it's
1: a it's, it is interesting it's a mimic of, of the work of creation i've separated light i'm surrounded by light uh, Jerusalem's full of light. So when you get to my house, guess what? It's full of too. Yes, it's uh, full, of, full of light. And I find it interesting that in um, the book of, when's uh, Solomon? I think he's king. No, Samuel, 2 Samuel. He, uh, uh, he ends up putting quite a few menorahs in the temple. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just one, right? It actually says, i got 10 of these and 10 of those. It's like, weren't you supposed to put one? Oh, yes, one good. Twenty very good. Okay, <laughs> so he really filled the temple full of full of light. Okay, uh, Patty, excellent. You got something?
8: <laughs> um, to me, fire represents being alive because there's an energy. I mean, it's you know, so there's it's life, and with and then with no light, it's death. And my that's just kind of what I'm thinking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. When you, when you come to a cold, dark place. It, it, it does have images of death. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's sort of kind of almost got that, that stench of it somehow. Yeah, goes with it. Uh, Shimshon, Rabbi Shimshon.
7: Yes. Um, I think it's for the priests so that they can see in the tabernacle. Um, God doesn't need like to see. God's, uh, for, before God's light and darkness are the same thing before him. And so the priests and you see the construction of the menorah is to pass light to the front, you know, and so they can see all that is in there. And um, it reminds me of um, when Samuel, Shimon, Samuel was um, keeping the, he was his turn to keep the lamp and um, the lamp went off and, um, and, and God caught in there. <laughs> And he knew he was in trouble. <laughs> so he had to run to realize, "Ah, yeah, my master, you called me. But um, God, the, the people need the light, the priests need the light. Um, and that's immediately have light because in the, in the holies of holies, there is no, there is no light in there and God you know, dwells there. And he's um, and not afraid to be there because there is a divine light there. Amen. Oh, I always think it, it's a funny thought
1: that uh, you know, the light's actually for the priests. Because you imagine they were about to do a holy convocation. Everyone's ga- gathered for worship. The priest goes into the holy of holies, uh, and then all of a sudden you hear this smash, bang, crash, and you're like, "Oops, I'm sorry." So, what did he do? It's, incense is everywhere. You know, the menorah fell over. He set fire to the baruchette. Um It's all, all very horrible. Uh, no, it, it could be. Yeah.
5: And the other thing about light is that no whether it's around a campfire or you're looking at something over the road that's just passing, you are focused, you will focus on the light. Everyone will look to that light. You can't not look at a light in darkness, can you? Right,
1: yeah.
5: You know, you will always look to the fire.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a captivating. Yeah. yeah. So um, you've got any stories about the, the temple and the light that was inside?
4: Yeah, I mean, yes. you know, if you... Ever been to the traditional church? You see, the windows are so weird. Like windows were made in a shape to collect the light outside of the church to bring inside. But in the Solomon's Temple, we know for sure because it's written in First Kings that he made narrow windows framed and put in the high. In in Solomon's Temple, it was the other way around that it was. Uh, Larger inside and smaller outside to take the light from inside, inside to give it outside. So it was like shining on the hill, basically representing the light of God. That's why it took the attention of Babylonians actually. Yeah, because you can imagine like someone is passing by Jerusalem, seeing that thing like yeah, shining upon the city 24/7. It was 24/7, by the way, from night to night. Yep, it's burning, and because the inside of the temple was pure gold. Right, because it gives all the light out, like you know. Yep. Except so there's the, there's
1: the practical thing. It's for the guys. So when they go and serve, they don't make some silly silly errors. And there's the theological thing. We are meant to be lights to the nations, as uh, Andrew's got in the chat. The light inside has to go outside. It can't be. It can't be. Can't be trapped. Okay. Alrighty. So um, in in verse four. The, the Aaron, the high priest, so it's actually a high priestly duty, he arranges the lamps in the lampstand of pure gold, uh, which he keeps burning before the Lord. And then we get this, the image of the bread, which... Um,
3: but Aaron, sorry, that's quite important what you said. This light is to be ordered and it's before the Lord always. And I think that's quite a key statement here. It's not for the people, really. It's, it's absolutely something that we have to order, be, that the high priest had to do before the Lord continually. And yes, in, and I'm going to give you a shadow type again of Lord Jesus. Good he's, on you. <laughs> he is that light and we have to continually lift up Lord Jesus. The only way to get to God the Father is through our Lord Jesus. And so this light is it, it, just such a beautiful picture of, of that.
1: Nice. Thank you made some notes there. Uh, Shimshon, you got another hand raised?
7: Yes. Um, just before we go out of the rice issue, um, it's, it's, it indicates the verse number two that the oil is very clay and not very pure. And we can understand why, because if you have the oil that is not pure, then you're going to have a lot of um, soot in, in the tent. And you're going to choke the people and you're going to have too much of carbon monoxide and you can kill the priest. and and so you don't want that to happen and so the lord commands that they have this very pure oil that there is no the combustion is very pure and um you get full light and you don't get um, the air in there polluted it's very interesting that um because there is no ventilation it's so still kind of safe in that place i think what
1: one of the, the things that Shimshon's also mentioning and bringing to the fore here is that faith is also practical, it is that God is incredibly practical. And when you get often to Jewish exegesis, it's how do I make my faith, you know, something in my head or my heart, actually walk this out? How do I walk out the Spirit? Okay, that's like halacha. And uh, when Jesus often taught, he often finished a, set, a teaching by saying, Now go and do likewise. And make it very practical. So, God is practical in all of his uh, machinations and, and plans and, and uh, uh, preparations. And then we should mimic that and also also do the same. Okay. So, faith is practical. All righty. On to bread. Now, before uh, one comment about bread, we've had sacrifices all through Leviticus, out, out the absolute brass razor. But we've also noticed that grains are a very significant part of the uh, offering, food offering portion to the point where grain and animal on many of the sacrifices are of equal weight. So most of the offerings that are being brought to the temple are not actually animals because there's just not that many animals around. You eventually will kill them all if you kept killing them all. Um, there was lots of bread. And, of course, there was a special bread that was always presented before the Lord, this thing called uh, the showbread or the bread of the tabernacle or whatever your um, uh, Bibles give the headline for. And so you take fine flour, again, only the best for God, okay, and you bake 12 loaves, no reason, but but it, it, it could definitely be a tribe, and uh, the actual weight of the um, flour is there, two tenths of an ephah, and you put them in two piles of six. Doesn't say why. So you probably have to um, use some exegesis on that, and it would all be correct on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And it also has frankincense. Okay? This idea of incense and smells, which, as we have all learned, is not a Catholic tradition. And it's a uh, biblical tradition and so so no one should be upset about the the idea of smells yeah okay? smells are great okay it's a sense that God has given us and we really should just love it it's great um, it's not always our cup of tea obviously um, but it, it's it's really is quite fantastic um, I happen to have been in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, in between sermons okay and um, and uh, I just happened to be standing by the edicule, and um, they, there was a bell rung. Everybody had to stop, and uh, all the different denominations came to bring their incense, one after the other, and they're all dressed in their absolute best. Just one guy: so one Armenian, one Greek guy, one Russian, one Ethiopian, they dressed in their best, having their little incense. Each one walked up waved their little thing, said a prayer, and walked off. That was all, all they did. I mean, everybody took photos and you know, pondered what they were doing. But um, for a brief moment, uh, that place filled up with the smell of frankincense and myrrh. It's a very interesting little, little thought there. Um, not, really a, not, not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. So uh, incense is also part of this. And uh, goes with the bread. And this is a memorial portion. It is a food offering to the Lord. So you bring food. You give it to God. Does he eat it? No, no he doesn't eat it. Okay, the priests actually eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait for it to go stale, then we'll give it to Aaron. Okay, but it's interesting. Let's give it to the Lord. But he never take it. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Yeah. So what, what are we learning here? Okay, is it, He's actually not going to eat it. The human is. But he has said, no, 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 you bring this. This is an offering to the Lord. Okay, but you don't actually eat it. What, what, what can we learn? What do you think, guys? What do you think about this interesting um, offering that uh, is the Lord's, that he doesn't actually take it? Or does he in some way? What do you think?
8: I'm just thinking, it reminds me when I went to Taiwan, and my, fa- you know, my husband's family, they're, they're Buddhists. And so when we go up to the high places where the cemetery, where the body, like the, the, the patriarch or the family, you have to go like every time you go back to visit and you take food and you take money and they have these urns, these altars, and you burn like fake money and you give them food. And I thought, well, isn't that so hypocritical? Like if, cause they think it's going up to the, you know, to, to the, to the, to the dead. Right. So I'm like, okay. So they take the food. Back and eat it at home. So I and then the, the money that's burned is false. So okay, so they, they don't get the real money, they get falsified money and they don't even eat the food that they've been offered. I thought, gosh, that is so crazy. But now that you're mentioning this, it's like, wait a second, that is very interesting.
1: Uh, so what do you think, guys? Why what do you think what, what do, what's the spiritual application here for this? Go, go, Shinfrong, give it a go.
7: God is the spirit, and um God can't really consume things that's is in the spirit realm. Um, so when we convert those um, offerings, like the green offering that becomes smoke, when we convert it, the incense that becomes smoke, God says he inhabits that, he, he takes in that and um, that's the only way that we can transfer it to God. Every other one that is not transferred to God is taken on his behalf because he said that i have given it to the Levite as they are, you know, to the priest so that they will consume it on my behalf. And um, that's a gift for perpetual generation. And so we know that God is consuming it even though we, we are giving it to the priest to consume. And, um, but there is also another aspect that makes it very real, especially when you do the olah and it goes completely to God. He's um, it, it, it's, it's actually consuming it because it becomes um, smoke and which um, God can consume it. It's, it's not tangible anymore. So we can see it on both sides that God actually you know, consumes it very nice that uh, God inhabits the spirit
1: of the offering visualized through the, the, the smoke of the incense and probably the nice fragrance of fresh bread. And uh, so, He is partaking of it. No one else can eat this, this can only be for um, Aaron and his son, so a select group of people. But yeah, somehow, God actually gives it. So, okay, let's take our sacrifices and you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice how does god take our lives do you think any thoughts on that one something to ponder so you know if you're listening in podcast land or driving then then contemplate the things that we have which we actually might use ourselves but they can also be used by for and with the lord even though we physically use them.
9: Yeah, I think it's really cool Aaron that uh, with respect to that that we can use everything about us like our time, our, our money, our resources our that we our whole life is a is an offering to God, right? In the New Testament and that like we were talking about that the spirit of God is the one who enables us to you know, exercise the purposes of God in this world, where otherwise we could just live for ourselves, right? Like humans will just sort of, you know, not necessarily honor God in their lives, right? But that's a powerful thought. Like this morning, I went and got my hair cut. And um, I was chatting with my, uh, my hairdresser, and we got talking and he says, yeah, he believes in God. And we're talking all about God. And then I was sharing with him about an appointment I had at nine, that we were reading in Joshua, that we have to, you know, the very first chapter of Joshua, and how it encouraged me so much and stuff. And he, he he was, sharing with me that yeah like you know he can pray so even just even in everyday experiences of our lives we can share God and share the the Torah share the truths of God with people and just enable them to find faith in their life and he yeah he's explaining all of it out to me and he believes in God and he's um he believes that Jesus, uh, that you have to go through Yeshua to to be saved and to become right with God. And it was really cool because he's a French man. So it's just really exciting to see that, yeah, God can use all of us, even though we're sinful and struggle with sin, he can still use us so powerfully and wants to use us in everyday life experiences. So,
1: yeah. Even the French, God can use even the French because it's that merciful.
9: With the bread on the,
5: uh, there's always bread on our table. Is that the symbol of we will always be fed. He will always. There will always be food. I don't know. It's a continual. It's all about continual continuation, like our life.
4: It is the reason why we have two challahs on Shabbat because here is commanded, is an everlasting covenant. So yeah. since we don't have a temple. So how are we going to keep the everlasting covenant by putting two challah on our? Okay, well, let not gold. Let's not go, but the, you, get the, you get the two colors on the,
1: on the Sabbath. Okay. In, in, in fact, the, the, the bread in the
7: temple is called Latin panim, which is the bread of the faces, or literally when you translate it, but um, we call it the bread of the presence. So when you sit the bread, it signifies the presence of God, and the bread and presence of God is continually there, and um, that's how it's enunciated. Then some other thing, how we, we can become a sacrifice to God. Um, just looking at Philippians 2.17. Um, Paul is describing his life as being poured out as a drink offering. Of course, he didn't become water to be poured out, but he's looking at the sacrifice he has done in faith. And um, if I read it, he said, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, because of the things he did for the people in the faith. So when we're doing all this, they are in their incense, they are sacrificed that are being going to God, you know, when we serve his fellow, um, um, our fellow creatures and his um, creation that he has made, we serve them, we already
5: sacrifice. So we don't have to see it to know that it's there. We don't have to see God to know that he's there. We know he's there.
7: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, we don't need to sing that that is there. He's there. And um, they, like what the bread represents, we present that he's there already. We know that there. Then when we are doing the sacrifice of our fellowship, the sacrifice of our time to visit people or to speak to people about God, yeah, God so is always there. He's there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Bread, as, as, we've, as we're beginning to see, becomes incredibly important uh, in the scriptures, here in Leviticus, into in the tabernacle, into the temple, you know, the thing that's purposely always before uh, God, given that interesting name, Lechem Hapanim, okay, bread of the presence. And then in Diaspora, when you didn't have a temple, you couldn't offer animal sacrifices, but you could still have bread. And so bread becomes incredibly important, even so much that when you get to the Gospels and it's time to have the, the last Pesach, for Yeshua, he doesn't actually mention lamb at all. In fact, by this stage, the bread during the, 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 the Seder has become actually incredibly important. And, you know, the bread of the presence, what does the Messiah say? Well, this is my body. And this is also a perpetual memorial thing that you continue to do. And it just flows uh, through the entire, entire Bible, not, not inventing something new, but actually continually um, uh, taking, moulding, shaping, using, giving fresh meaning to some very, very um, familiar symbols. Yeah, and as uh, Anne said, it's very practical because everybody can have it. You you might not all have uh, access to an animal, but you can all have, you can all break bread together, and bless the Lord. And so you end up with those very special blessings in Jewish tradition, of course, the Hamotzi, which just about uh, everybody uh, knows. Okay. All right. And I liked uh, your comment, Kate. It's the the knowledge that it's there, even though I don't always see it. Like, I don't always see God. I mean, but he's there. He's guarding. He's watching. He's present. I don't always feel him. Sometimes I'm distracted, okay? not always paying attention. But somewhere along the line, you can always turn around and think, "No, he's actually around. It's okay." And uh, that's a very comforting thing for most Israelites. They would never probably even see the bread.
5: Maybe have
1: a glimpse as it as it's being baked and brought into uh, the tabernacle.
4: They didn't even hear about it, right? Because Torah wasn't written in books, right? It wasn't being read in the synagogue because who's going to write it down? Yeah. It was being read like maybe every other year. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And so um, there's a, that oral tradition that comes on. So they know about it, but not because of something that they see. And uh, and that you also see that that same sort of theology show up in the New Testament. Blessed are those who don't see and yet they believe. Right? Like we're constantly... Pushing ourselves, I've got to see a miracle, I've got to see God in action, I've got to see. And then Jesus turns around and says, No, you don't. Actually, the ones who believe and they haven't seen anything, they're the ones that are really, you know, they're the ones that are on fire. Um, uh, it, it's much, much easier to say, yeah, I saw, so now I believe. To somebody who says, I haven't seen a single thing, but actually I believe well wholeheartedly. Those are those are those are two different stories right there. Okay, so now we come away from the command stretch, uh, section into narrative, which is very rare for Leviticus, and it's a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Mordecai and I had a little chat on this one, so we'll, we'll have a look. So now verse uh, 10. we get got an Israelite woman, and she has a son whose father was an Egyptian. Okay, That's an interesting thing to, to point out right up, right off the bat, okay? Now, he goes out amongst the people of Israel. And this son of the Israelite and a man of Israel have a fight. doesn't say what the fight is, but we can uh, ponder. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemes the name and cursed.
0: Why would he do such a
1: thing? And then so they obviously are um, a bit upset about this. So they, they catch him and they bring him to Moses. And, uh, and then all of a sudden we get the name of this lady. It's very rare that the Bible does that. Um, one thing I like about Jewish tradition is if you ever have somebody without a name, we're going to give you one. Okay, We're going to give you a name and a backstory. Okay, And uh, so you end up with, uh, like, what's the name of Noah's wife? I hear you ask. Nama. Nama. Nama, okay. And it doesn't say that in the Bible, okay, but that's a tradition. So, uh, and, and may as well, okay. Um, all right, you got a hand raised there, David or Vita?
3: Oh, Aaron, it's just two things. I find it fascinating that they describe this as, as him as a son of an Israelitish woman, and the father was an Egyptian. So it's like this person was in two, two camps. Whereas, you know, when Naomi, we know she was a Moabitess, yet she kept saying, your God will be my God. And, and right. you know, she, she she really embraced that faith. Here this person, the son, seems to be of two minds, very separate, worldly and kind of, you know, and it's fascinating that not because he fought or anything, he's in prison only because he blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed and I think that's fascinating that, um, you know, you just think for yourself, as, as I'm, as we tending to grow closer to the Lord, I'm finding when we're hearing God's name or the Lord Jesus' name used on, as blasphemy, it yeah. really, it gets more and more upsetting, you know, yeah. It, you know, before you kind of ignored it. Now I just I have to switch the program because I, I hate it. Yeah. So I just find it fascinating as the Lord seems to grow in you, you. You tend to really hate this.
1: A couple of years ago, I had to not had to. I was asked to. I umpired a cricket game. Everyone knows what cricket is. It's this absolutely incredible game that takes five days to play. Right, um, and it's like fine wine. It just gets better and better and better after five days. Uh, it's it was between some British Jews and some Australian Jews. So the British were playing the Australians. And uh, they couldn't decide who would umpire them. They couldn't trust anybody to umpire them, so they would get it but some Gentiles to come and actually umpire the, 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 the match for them. And so I went down. It was a great, great day uh, at Ascalon. And, um, and you're right, Vita. so all these uh, people were playing cricket and swearing like troopers. But it was always Jesus. And it was always, you know... And you go like, hang on a second. So at the end of the day, when people are giving their little presentations and discussions, I said, I'd like to make a comment. And they said, oh, the umpire is going to say something. And I said, I have not heard so many Jews call the name of Jesus since the book of Acts. Okay? Uh, this has been very, very impressive. And uh, they sort of chuckled. <laughs> so but, yeah, eventually he does get a little, little annoying. So who is this man? And uh, there's an interesting oral tradition that's attached to this. So- Who is he?
4: It it's kind of matches the story. So this is a guy, his father is Egyptian, and oral tradition teaches that, that his father was the one whom Moshe killed while he was trying to help the uh, Jewish guy by using the divine name of God. So how did Moshe kill him? By just saying the name of the Lord. So this guy, because his mom is from the tribe of Dan, but his father is not Jewish. Definitely, he doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a tribe. So basically, he's tribe-less. So according to oral tradition, he wanted to go and pitch his tent in the area of the tribe of Dan. And that member of that tribe told him, oh, wait a second, you know, and I belong to this tribe. Another Denonite, whatever they called it at that time, you may not pick your tent here. And he says, Like, then tell me who I am, you know, who am I? And then they tell you, You know what, your father was, you know, was killed by Moshe Rabbeinu, and how he killed your father is that he used the divine name. And he says, Like, what was the name again? <laughs> and he starts cursing. So that's the alteration. Because if you read the story, there's a huge gap, you know, like why this guy is like went, went out, went out to where, and then why out of the blue that's you sitting on the corner and start cursing the name of the Lord. So that's the, uh, the oral tradition kind of matches the story. And then this guy starts cursing the name of the Lord because eventually it's killed his father. Right?
1: Yep, I find it interesting that the power of the name to create but also to destroy and get into trouble. So when the, uh, the Messiah needs to kill the Antichrist, what does he use? He uses a word. A word. A word. doesn't say what the word is, right? But you could imagine that the, the, or the tradition would be he would use the divine name, right? That uh, he would actually say the true name of God in the way it's meant to be said, and that would actually slay the enemy. And that's a, a sort of a very – the power of the name is um, – it shows up in a lot of oral traditions. In the Bible, it just sort of alluded to with the cursed. He, the, they'll say a word. Well, what word? You know, will you say shalom? Will you say you know marmalade jam? You know, what's uh, what's going to be the, the 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 power? If there's anything that has power, it's probably the name of the Lord. So,
5: what was the? Can I ask a question? Was would it be normal for um an Israelite woman to be married to an Egyptian so that the son was in, he had a foot in both camps, but he had, he had to sell himself in neither. But they and were slaves. They didn't have
4: any choose, right? Choices. There was this Egyptian guy, most likely, uh, like most likely someone who was in charge. It yes, was like basically pushing Jews to work hard harder. So yeah, I mean, they didn't have any choices. So it's, it is possible. It is, it still is possible.
5: I was thinking of the sins of the fathers. Sorry? The sins of the fathers. If they didn't like the Egyptian, you know, this it, it's like which part of him was the bad guy. I don't know. It just seems obvious. It's emphasized so three times, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So I know what you're saying. The sins of the fathers passed down to the generation. Isn't that yeah. so which yeah. is which is the oral tradition is Moses wrestles with the dad.
5: Dad, yeah. Right?
1: And 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 that's and and so then. That plays out again in the next generation.
5: Yes. Right?
1: That, sort of, that sort of idea that um, uh, now it's a, it's a tradition. So, it doesn't mean that it's 100% true, but it's a tradition. This is where the uh, Jewish people are looking at the text and then reading back, looking for other examples of where Egyptians uh, struggle and wrestle. Now, also know that um, when Israel left Egypt, who came with them? The Egyptians, many Correct. Egyptians,
8: yeah, so foreigners. foreigners, foreigners,
1: right? And they're joining themselves to the household of Israel. So yes, they would have some of them would have intermarried, uh, and you get that you, you get that to this day. Okay, in fact, um, for for those that know, most most messianics are are, are actually marrying uh, Gentiles um, purely because the um, there's more of them. Okay, uh, <laughs> they're sort of everywhere. Okay, Shimshon.
7: Yeah, um, it's interesting to note that um, since they came out from, from Egypt, there was um, the only place where they, they, they referred to them as mixed multitude, and all of a sudden, this man has been called an Egyptian because there is a fight. He wouldn't have been called an Egyptian if there was no fight.
5: Yes, uh,
7: yeah, I mean, there's not been you no know, name calling since they left Egypt. Everybody was, and um, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the adults, Israel, speak to the community, to all, the whole community, which this man is included. But all of a sudden, there's a fight, and now it's we against them, and they could see that, that, that um, dichotomy is showing up there. Um, uh, I, I just want to point it out because, um, many times when we come into friction, that's when we see. They are that um, there is them and us. Because if you go to the book of Hebrew and um, Isaiah chapter 56, the prophet is saying that, let not he that joins himself to Adonai say that the Adonai will separate me from his people. I mean, it's, it says that, you don't say that the Adonai will separate you from his people. The Adonai will take you as his people once you join yourself to Adonai. You will not be separated. And so this man now is now seeing the, 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 the bad side. Uh, I mean, it's sad, but that's happened. But... Um, um it's it's because of the fact. I want to believe it's because of the fact.
5: And, and and if it's very rare for it to be included, if if it's a narrative and very rare, there's probably something quite significant that I'm missing then.
7: Yeah, I think this is the other place where we where someone was being identified, you know, um, vividly as um, an Egyptian or not being part of the children of Israel um since they left Egypt. I mean, this is the only very vivid well, I don't know if um, Aaron knows of another one, but um, that's the only one I can I can remember that is written in black and white. Mm. Well we need to focus
4: on his mom's name too. Shulomid? Yes. daughter of De. what does that mean? Does anybody have an idea about it?
7: No. Nope. There's another old
4: tradition for the,
7: oh, the teaching. Shulomid, um daughter of the three of the daughter of Down. Like, um, Shlomo is like um, the name of Solomon, yeah.
4: Yeah, It's the same Shoresh, you're right. Yeah, it's also the the same Shoresh as Shalom. So, yeah, tradition teaches that that lady was so talkative, she kept saying, Shalom to you, Shalom to you, Shalom to you, like going and speaking (laughs) with people. And that's why it's again, he was called uh, as the Divri, the same Shoresh, same city as speak, but, speak. Yeah. and the oral tradition teaches that she fell into sin because she kept talking with men. Of course, it doesn't mention if, if she is a sinner, she was a sinner or not. Yeah, but that's, a, this is Shalomist. the basically Shalomid in the Sephardic pronunciation. Keep saying, kept saying shalom shalom, 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 speaking a lot, and that's another of Dibri. Ah,
7: that's interesting.
4: <laughs> but there is, that's why we have tens of thousands of. Uh, Commentary, you know, yeah, like yeah. making things out of the context, but it, it makes sense. It,
1: it's true. I, I studied with uh, rabbis during the week, and what they do is they're constantly taking the names of heroes and, and playing on the words on the meanings because they got plenty of time to go to maybe they got lots of time, but they'll go, Why does he have that name? Ah, because they're because you know, Why? yeah, why, why, what's 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 the divree? What, why, is, why are we the son of someone who talks a lot? And then, of course, gossip is bad. And then, and then they
4: start gossiping about the lady by saying, saying she fell into, shit. Shit. Fell into she sin.
1: They it. do the same thing, yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah. eventually, get into the New Testament, and gossip's still playing uh, a heavy, a heavy problem.
5: So yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, cut
1: this
7: out. Yeah. <laughs> and and his son also exhibited the same thing. You start talking too much. Not <laughs> talking too much, yeah. And up to the point to blaspheme the name. The boy is talking too much. Learned it from the mother. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So I have a question, then I'll go to David.
1: How did he know the name? Yes. Nobody knew the name. According, <laughs> to, oral According, right. According <laughs> to oral tradition, only a select group of people know. And yet, so, so somehow he seems to know, and somehow people know <gasps> you just said things that you're not allowed to say. <laughs> and so there's the the story is quite interesting in the in the effect that but, but what is it I'm trying to, <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's, it is trying to teach us something. And uh, anyway, uh, Vita or David, you've got a hand raised?
3: David, am I right in saying they've already received the Ten commandments by now?
1: Should have, yes.
3: So why do, are they taking, are they going before the Lord to see what to do when God's already told them you'll not take the name of the Lord God in vain?
4: Yeah, yeah, but maybe because when Moshe asked about his name and he told him to go and tell them that his name sent me to you. So maybe from them. From, <laughs> yeah, maybe I it's a little tradition right, that right. they didn't know the name.
7: Maybe.
9: Yeah, they, all, they all know the name. Mahdi, they all know the name, I think you guys don't think. But
4: how come is, is who said that about not taking God's name in vain? If he doesn't know the name, so he's That's, not going to take yeah. it in vain. Right. What I find interesting yeah.
1: is every time something goes wrong, right, we always bring to Moses. No, one, no one's really got 100% clue what to do, uh, but neither does Moses, by the way, <laughs> which I always think is really cool. You know, they Why say, Moses, do what should we do? I don't know. I'm going to go and talk to Aaron. Um, because um, it says, you know, they put him in custody, which is
4: rare, right?
1: You know, um, in the Bible, there's no jails.
4: Why did they put him in custody? They had to
1: go wait and see what to do with him. Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't
4: know. They didn't know.
1: You yeah. asked
4: God,
9: yes. Yeah, so they already knew, didn't they, Marty?
1: Well, that's what we're assuming. Double check. Veda's already pointed out. So, hang on. You've had the Ten Commandments. You know, you're not supposed to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's one of the first commandments. You know, that's right up there. Surely you've uh, been teaching this. Yeah, and um, and yet, when it actually finally does happen, it uh, we 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 put him in custody, which is a little rare. Get and to and and it says until the will of the Lord would be clear. How is the will of the Lord made clear in this time?
9: The Lord spoke to Moses.
1: That's one
7: way. Um, it's interesting to note that um, when you read from Genesis and you see that um, the Petrats, um use the name, at least literally when, it's, when you read in the narrative, they all use the name. And um, even Pharaoh used the name. He says, I don't know Adonai. and. Um, that I will not let these people go. That, uh, you know, he used the name. And um, that's his quoting from Pharaoh. So people have been using the name, using the name. And it gets to Mount Sinai. Of course, everybody hears the name. Just like the point you made now, um, Aaron. That how did the people know that he said the name? So I, I want to see that it's not just about the pronunciation of the name. Um, just like the Ten Commandments says that do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Or take it lightly. Now, most probably would have used it in a, in a very um, wrong way and, um, you know, use it in a crossword that we use in our modern society. They use the name of God in a crossword. And um, if you, in some traditions, they use so much crossword that you will hear the name of God in between the crosswords. So I, I feel that that's what was going on there and that he used the name in the in the wrong way. And um, they had to deal with it there not about pronouncing the name, because they all knew the name about this time. But the halakha... Yeah, I know, I know. In the halakha, in the tradition of not pronouncing the name, I think it came up much later, um, not about this time. The, the tradition of not using, of people not pronouncing the name, you just use the grammar term, and not pronouncing the name, it came up much later. And um, most probably in the Second Temple period, because you see in the whole of the um, New Testament, we don't see anybody using the name of God. Even Jesus wasn't using the name of God. So we don't know that. Well, it, it doesn't appear there that we actually use it, and you know, many times they, they use things that are close to it. They, they don't use they say heaven forbid, but it's usually translated as God forbid, but it's not actually God forbid, it's heaven forbid. So they use heaven to to be the euphemism to instead of using the names. So. As for Khalila. Yes, yeah, Halila, you know, trying to avoid
4: that. So, but he definitely, he definitely used the finger of God, right? So, the yes. finger of God, yes. So, but Halakha applies, only applies to those who knew and was warned before. So maybe, in another tradition it's written in the Chabatim, that maybe they just wanted to make sure that he knew the Halakha. Because if you don't know that you shouldn't use the... That is not guilty. So he's not guilty and they, since they already stoned that uh, wood gatherer, they probably didn't want to create a panic attack in the camp by just like killing out of killing all the people so they just wanted to make sure that he knew the halakha and therefore it applies to him okay and the penalty for the halakha for those who knows it is death yeah this it's is um this is a, this is what they call case law is
1: um well, we're missing um, our, our trial lawyer here. He would tell us this was. This is an example of, of um, the law being put into practice. So the Bible creates laws, and then it gives you these situations where you actually go, oh, we actually now have to put this into practice. actually now have to um, sit down and, and figure out, have we got it right? Like, more, more Does he actually know what the law is? Can he claim ignorance, you know, um, et etc." The the, the, the the sentence we get is until the will of the Lord should be clear, okay, which uh, seems to infer that they were also co- consulting. How do they consult? Well, there's one special object we've already got in Leviticus for our high priest. What is it? Okay, so you can go and you can actually ask the question Is this guy guilty? Little lights flash. Yes. All right, now we know what to do. Um, so that doesn't say what that's what happened but it is also one of the possibilities uh the other possibility is they had a prayer session and god spoke but um there's a there's a very good chance that we're actually using the um priestly priestly garments uh in this case so once we actually a- a- analyze his uh his guilt
5: it's pretty darn serious okay. and um, and we Shalomith, um, Shalomith or Dibri appear anywhere else in the Bible? Is this the only, you know, it's a uh, is history attached to them, or will there be a story attached to that in the future? Oh,
1: the, 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 these names appear here, but according to oral tradition, a, a history will be attached to them. You will find it out. Like, hence the reason why, who's the Egyptian? Don't know. His father was the one that Moses wrestled. So, in Jewish tradition, remember beginnings and ends always overlap. And so, if it appears once, they and uh, something goes wrong, they're often looking in the Bible trying to figure out where was it corrected? Where did God make it right? Where did it, uh, where did, where did, uh, not karma, not faith, but where does the story reach its zenith? Yeah. And so, they will um, often look at those kinds of things. Um, yeah, and so, uh, beginnings and ends always occurring in the, in the same place. Uh, Vita or David?
6: Yes, Aaron, it's me. I'm asking a question here. If I look at verse 15 and 16, yep. I see that uh, it's written that whosoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Yep. And then it says, and he that blasphemes the name of the Lord. It seems to split that you can curse, but you'll bear your sin. And then it seems to say that if you blaspheme, it's a different thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. This one, um, the, the, the one of the comments here was, he, he was warned not to do this, right? It's it's not something done in in. There's a difference between sinning and then there's the deliberate one as well, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, he bears his own sin. Because what all in, in Leviticus, what bears our sins eventually? The the goat. The Something takes away the sin, right? That whole idea of the something takes away our sin. But in this case, if if it's got to do with the name of God, actually you have to bear it. And that's actually kind of horrible. And so you get this idea of putting him to death, which is stoning, which is the... um,
6: So so Aaron, Aaron, sorry sorry to interrupt. So what we're looking at here is the Lord has said, if you blaspheme his name, it is the same principle as Lord Jesus saying, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no comeback.
1: Yes, there's something. Remember that, that weird, not weird, that, uh, that sin which we, that no one seems to know what it is. <laughs> okay, uh, but we have it. Okay, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. There seems to be something that is separate from other sins. And uh, the name of God, lots of things are holy, but the name of God is also very, very, very special. And, he like, and he's very jealous of his name. And he acts and does incredible things, based on his name, right? Like uh, the, the, where he rescues Hezekiah because uh, uh, the Sennacherib has surrounded Jerusalem. God hasn't lifted a finger to help his people. But as soon as the uh, commander of the enemy armies blasphemed the name of God, very next morning, the angel of death killed 185,000 Assyrians. Something motivated the Lord to say, whoa, wait a second, that, that crossed the line. And... Um, it's very, very, very powerful. Now, guys, the tension between putting this guy to death and then the very next sentence, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Well, who just killed that guy then? <laughs> you know, I can just imagine, that I didn't do it. What's the rock doing? Not, not, nothing. <laughs> well,
9: <laughs> Discipline is different than like paying for your sins. God's discipline is different than murdering a person, another person, right?
1: Sure. The word, um, like we have it in the the commandment, thou shalt not kill, but that's actually not the commandment, is it? But the real actual Hebrew is thou shalt not murder, right? And is that uh, the same
3: word here? Is that murder here? He that murder or is it kill?
1: That's a good question. Good question. What verse is it? 17.
9: 17. Yeah, Because while you're looking that up there, and another thought too is that you know how David killed so many people by the sword, right? Like, it, that, it just
1: says, know. um, it just says to death, yamut to kill, to put to death. But he, he, he who puts to death is, is, is put to death. It's not uh, the word uh, le-harog, which is to kill, and it's not the word uh, to murder. So Jesus says the same, He who kills with the sword will die by
3: the sword. In a sense. Right, he does,
1: he does. Yes, it's actually, it's very similar, yes, because it's the same word uh, played out. Um, and then a lot of people look at this section of, of the Bible and say, look, look at this law. It's absolutely horrible, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You know, I mean, obviously, who are these crazy, crazy people? It's obviously tribal, cannibalistic, you know. No one does such a thing like this anymore. Definitely a different God. And uh, or they'll say, See, Jesus has changed the Torah because we're not doing this anymore. It's like, Whoa, how could the Messiah possibly change Torah? Therefore, he is not the Messiah. Right? There's lots of arguments that are, are brought on both sides of the camp. Okay, Jewish people will, will, will argue this way too. He can't be the Messiah, he keeps changing Torah. Wait a second. So um, there's that,
8: yeah, there, there's that concept of the, Mar- you know, Marcion, how he, the old, you know, the God of the Old Testament is, you know, the, the evil, like, you know, lightning bolts and, and, and Jesus of the New Testament. But, you know, they forget the end of the story. You've got the seven years of trib- tribulation, which will be the greatest of the tribulations of the whole world, which will be brought upon and, and by the lamb and, and the, the wrath yeah. of the lamb. So it's just, it's, it's just, we're in that middle part here right now, We're <laughs> The, 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 the you know the long suffering of, the, of god is waiting for yeah, those to come into the long.
1: sheepfold come lord jesus amen sharon
9: and yeah Aaron, the concept that you know the reason for the killing right so like david killing people in battle right versus just you know murder as you spoke about before but you know my goodness like david was close to god's heart but he he murdered a lot of people and was well known as a soldier right so it depends on the reason for the killing i guess eh?
4: mm-hmm.
9: In
1: that paragraph, I mean, my Bible, probably like yours, it's a paragraph. In the actual text, it's not. It's just verses. But in this section of eye for eye, tooth for truth, injury for injury, um, it, it there's, a, there's a play between animals and humans. And we see that animals do not have the same value as a human. Okay? For, so for all um, interesting vegans out there, personal choice, but... Animals are not the same as humans. They are. They are different. Um, the uh, the there is there is monetary involvement here as well. So sometimes we think, oh, they must have walked around mutilating each other. You know, half of Israel was uh, blinded in one eye. This would have looked completely crazy. It's actually not true. Yeah, and um, it was eye for an eye, but it was it's you, uh, this. And the same rule for the sojourner and for uh, the the uh, the native. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're into the i okay. And um, There was a uh, this. It, there was a monetary value that was attached to things, which you then paid back. So if you broke, if you if you destroyed or damaged or stole or somebody's cow, you paid back for. And then, how much more would you have to pay back for a human? Okay, so that was uh, the the idea. Is wasn't that they chopped off arms and legs?
4: It actually also inspired the Islamic law. Yeah, in Saudi Arabia, for example, if you kill somebody intentionally,
1: yeah. they kill you. Yeah, it's one of the, the sources for that where Islam got some of their traditions for us. Oh, look at this interesting document you guys got. We will do better. <laughs> um,
9: So that's a question I had that relates to this, uh, Aaron. Because, for example, there's a cat in my backyard, okay? It's a feral wild cat that is eating and digging up the capelin fish that I put underneath as fertilizer underneath like 75% of my training.
4: Where'd she go? Well, I think we already got the answer from God. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just like that. Don't kill the
7: cat. Yes. Buy a dog. (laughs) You know, just like Modi said, uh, it was never, and um, Aaron, it was never implemented in the way that we, we read it. And even when um, New Testament believers tried to say, No, God has done away with the law, you see those Draculan law? I said, Okay, when you go to the New Testament, and um, Yeshua was speaking in the Beatitude, if you read in uh, Matthew 5, and he continues down in the Beatitude, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, you block it out. Did anybody implement it like that? No. Then we are now, we are trying to interpret differently. We said, no, he's is not is speaking figuratively. Yes, they were speaking figuratively. But yet, too. That's the same language that was used. You cut your right hand. We don't have people coming out to, you know, the believers when Yeshua was coming out with one eye and, oh, it was considered to see, you I've chopped my hand. No, we didn't have that. So they were not interpreting it that way. And just like Aaron mentioned, if you read in the text, then it switched into compensation um, it says there in verse number, um, uh, okay, sorry, I missed it, I've skipped it. Uh, it says uh, one who kills a beast will be, Where is number I mentioned, compensation. Verse
1: 21, whoever kills an animal should make good.
7: Yes. So when it talks about the compensation, then the sages kind of interpreted to mean that every other one is also compensation, Correct. that's when you take somebody's eyes out, you will have to pay the person equivalent to his eyes. What his eyes worth to him? And um, we've seen that in modern days, you know, people kind of insure, we well, have about Michael Jackson insuring his legs because he danced with his legs, so important to him. And of course, that means his insurance, the premium, on his leg will be very high than um, somebody that is not um, dancing with his legs, you know. So for how, how that person's eye or arm is, you're gonna pay the same compensation. And because we didn't see the Israelites coming with uh, amputees and they were saying, no, I had that because um, you know I, I mistakenly took somebody out and they, they had to take my hand. We didn't have amputees coming into the Holy Land. So also Yeshua was speaking in, um, in Matthew 5 that uh, you take out your eye because it's to think. It was never implemented that way. And um, it's not meant to be used to scare people from the scripture. Of course, uh, we could see in Islam, they don't have the original, so they didn't know the interpretation or the cultural background to it, and they ran away with it, and we've what is happening around the world. Yes, we do. Mordecai, thanks for that. Mordecai, you've got a comment on 22? Yes, before we wrap
4: it up. It actually translated as, there will be one law for you, but if you look at the Hebrew text, it says, it says, there will be one judgment for you like prophesying about the messianic era, when the son of man comes, he will judge the nations, and it's going to be the same judgment to all, and as it's written, so like, there'll be one judgment for you, for the convert, or the sojourner, or the native alike, for I am God, your God.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, is a messianic comfort Yeah.
4: Okay, very good,
1: thank you. Um, Kate, you've got a comment?
5: Yes, just, just, it's just when I was listening to Shimshan and, and all the talking, it it occurred to me that there's a lot of um, what's right and what's wrong, what's killing and what's murder. Actually, if we think about it, what, what they're saying there is that we actually know right from wrong. We know when we're doing something wrong. We know when what we're doing is wrong. Let us take responsibility for it. There, there is, there is just times, and there are unjust times when we commit um, murder, well, murder or killing. Right. And, but, but we're we're perfectly capable of understanding that. And what God's saying is, you know, when you've done wrong, what you've done is wrong, gone, and we've got to take responsibility.
1: Any other? Oh, you've got Sharon. You've got a comment before we wrap it up.
9: Sorry to interrupt you guys. My computer died right in my, my question but so you're saying you guys that this is the animals are animals are like your stock or something because this my, my example this week is this, this feral cat is digging and wrecking and trashing my garden completely and so I set a trap for it but then some of the neighbors are freaking out because there's no other way to catch it like it's really wild and there's no other way to get rid of it so growing up on a farm like Kona bear traps are you know, normal things in the country. <laughs> so my neighbor tells me yesterday, you can't do that. You'll be fine, $10,000. So I'm just saying that it's just kind of a, you know, like, you know, like anti-cat or I don't know, cat terrorism or something. I'm just kidding. But the thing is, what do you do in that case? Number one, but number two, this is just referring to animals in general, not not my feral cat that's destroying is, my garden.
1: Uh, they're... they're- discussing injury to other people's property and other people and uh, and then the, 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 the idea of paying back compensation for, for your fault. You're taking responsibility, which is one of the things that Kate said, and that includes responsibility for your brother and responsibility for your brother's stuff. Right? Am I my brother's keeper? Absolutely. And that includes his
9: stuff too. Right, but so a feral cat that's destroying my property, you're allowed to kill it? Because you know how, like, Buddhists, like, don't even catch oh a squirrel, no. You know No, Sharon, don't kill
5: it. Catch it. Look, okay.
1: there, there are some cultures that some cultures would eat that cat, okay, and that would fix it all, all up.
9: cat swallows it. I'll have it for dinner.
1: Okay. No. <laughs> kill it. All right, guys. This, this study has now digressed. Let's go back to, the, to being holy for a brief moment. Okay, friends, in terms of holiness, what we've looked at is we've looked at holy light that is um, meant to shine out and, and to, to all of the nations, but it also is a, has that idea of the Lord is always perpetually here. He's, he's always, you can always approach him. He's always available. You can leave the darkness and come. There's a lot of good things there. There's this idea of uh, holy bread that uh, God partakes in. He actually is present in the offering and in the worship and in, the, uh, and in his adoration, and uh, which he then, uh, after obviously the decentralization of the, of the faith through the destruction of the, the temples, um, becomes very, very, very powerful so that you know, the presence of the Lord is felt in the breaking of bread vis-a-vis, look at the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus once that uh, special moment had happened they were uh, their eyes eyes were opened um, and then we get this uh, case of God's name is so holy and uh, sometimes we take that so lightly and um, and, and uh, that but uh, there is this there are things that that, that have a very strong sense of um, justice like the grieving of the Holy Spirit the sinning of the holy the Holy Spirit so we have to be very careful with our attitudes that we do remember that you and I do serve a holy God. He's not like anything else. He's he's super, uh, super super fantastic. And uh, and then the idea that each other, in a very interesting way, is also holy and special. And should we mistreat it? Should we damage it? Should we take responsibility, and we make and we fix it up. And so one of our first things, if we ever do break each other's stuff. So Our first response is, I really should pay for that. I'm really sorry. I've, I've mistreated you, disrespected you, disrespected your property and your stuff. shouldn't be that. It's special. You're special. You're made in the image of God, and uh, and I'm going to make that right. So the it's a, the holiness is also incredibly practical, that we actually see. It's not just something that sits in our heads. All right. All um, right. Simshon, you've still got a hand raised?
7: A,
6: a, a yes. final
7: comment? Yeah. Um, just a final comment. Yeah. Um, you know, when Moses did the consultation about this uh, man that has blasphemed, then we get all this uh, barrage of um, law of, of execution that was going to take place if somebody does this, does that, does that. It was after that that they had to do the execution of this guy. And so they, they, they had a situation but they were able to resolve even future situations. I mean, they, 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 they asked for somebody that blasphemed, but it also talks about somebody that cost and somebody that did other things and how you will deal with it and blah, blah. And um, many of these, I think it was in Deuteronomy, um, in kind of expanded on, uh, especially on the animal place where you have an animal that has been glorying other people and you refuse to take um, responsibility then um, if that animal kills somebody, then you have to pay some big, big penalty later on. So I just want to mention that it was after those laws that they were able to finally belt the guy to, to death. Correct. All right, guys.
1: Well, thank you very much for the study. Be blessed. Have a great Shabbat.
0: Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King.